Dear listeners, a quick note about today's episode. This story contains descriptions of violence against young girls and women, which may be upsetting for some people. Parts of today's story were adopted from a report by Philip Obaji Jr. for Al Jazeera, which was published in May 2020. In northeastern Nigeria, we have these camps. They are essentially where all the homeless people go. But we call them internally displaced persons, IDPs. It's a very fancy word for people who cannot go to their homes. Maybe because their homes were destroyed or they were forced to leave by the insurgent group Boko Haram. One of those IDP camps is Madina II, and it's in Bronu State. One morning, 16-year-old Zainab comes out from her one-room hut. She's going to fetch water from a nearby well not too far from Madina II camp. Zainab and her 17-year-old cousin, Talatu, have been staying in the Madinatu IDP camp for over two years. Their hometown is Bama, but in 2017, they fled when Boko Haram stormed the area, burning down houses and kidnapping women and children. Zainab and Talatu escaped, leaving their parents behind. In Madinatu, Zainab and Talatu live together in a hut made of bamboo sticks and straw. The hut is like a human-sized bird's nest. Hundreds of huts like this are scattered throughout the camp, where about 5,000 IDPs live. According to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, as of the end of January this year, Nigeria has over 2.8 million IDPs. Multiple sources say most of these IDPs, over 2 million, are in the Northeast. And they live in temporary settlements called IDP camps. Now, the Internal Displacement Monitoring Center says there are 32 official government-run camps for IDPs in Bronu State alone. There are also over 200 unofficial settlements that NGOs provide support for. And the majority of the IDPs are women and children who are very poor. Most of the camps have malnourished children, unemployed women, young girls with dead or absent fathers. Life in the camps is tough. As Zainab steps out to fetch water, she sees a woman she knows as Auntie Fumi. Auntie Fumi approaches Zainab and tells her about a job. It will be as a housemaid in Enugu and she will get a monthly salary. Auntie Fumi asks if she's interested. Of course she's interested. For Zainab, this would be her chance to get out of the IDP camp. Food in the camp was in short supply. And people like Zainab had to beg on the streets of the nearby town to be able to get enough to eat. Zainab tells her cousin Talatu, and Talatu also approaches Antifumi to ask if she can get a job like Zainab. Antifumi agrees, and by the next morning, the girls packed what little they had and went off with Antifumi. They did not tell anyone that they were leaving. But maybe they should have because Antifumi isn't exactly who they think she is. From Medugri to Enugu is at least a 20-hour drive. The journey is usually done in two phases. So first, they go to Medugri, the capital of Bono, where they board a car for the 12-hour drive to Abuja. After spending a night in Abuja, they continue traveling spending over nine hours on the road to Enugu. 
They reach Enugu and Antifumi takes them to a compound where she hands Zainab and Talatu to an elderly woman called Uma. The compound had two flats of three bedrooms each, filled with over a dozen young girls, some of them pregnant. Antifumi shows the girls around the compound and tells them that this is their new workplace. Before leaving, she instructs them to do whatever they are asked to do. Zainab and Talatu are excited about their new paid job. They expected to be cleaning the compound and doing household chores. What Zainab and Talatu don't know is that they have just been trafficked. And they'll be doing so much more than just cleaning and house chores. In 2019, NAPTIP reported that over 700 people were arrested as suspected human traffickers. NAPTIP is the National Agency for the Prohibition of Trafficking in Persons. Both men and women engage in trafficking. Of the 701 suspected perpetrators in 2019, there was a near equal number of men and women. Trafficking requires a complex network which includes recruiters, intermediaries, transporters, document providers, corrupt officials, including security forces, and, of course, those who buy the trafficked persons. And where you have buyers, you have a demand. And when you have a demand, you have traffickers. Traffickers target very specific groups of people, those with economic needs, so essentially the poor. Children with dysfunctional families. Intimate partners, like boyfriend or husband. People with mental, behavioral, or neurological disorders. Those who have illegal immigration status children deprived of parental care, those with limited education, and even those with physical disability. Now, NAPTIP reports that the average age of trafficking victims in Nigeria is 15. In many cases, victims are recruited by force, just outright abduction. Others are recruited through fraud and deception. Some may be promised that they will get taken to high-income countries where they can get a better life. In some cases, recruitment actually occurs within the victim's own family. Women and girls are pressured by their family members to get trafficked. Some even know that they are going to be used for sexual exploitation, but they have no choice, so they go. Now, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime reports that income from trafficking varies, and at the global level, women and girls are sold for less than $5,000 and as high as $25,000. The variation in prices is based on where the trafficked person is from, who the recipient is, and what the recipient wants to use them for. Victims of trafficking are subject to horrors including sexual exploitation, forced labor, criminal activity, begging, forced marriages, organ removal. And there's one form of trafficking that has been on the rise in Nigeria. Baby factories. After Antifumi leaves, Mma, the woman in charge, ushers Zainab and Talatu in and gives them each a separate room. The girls are surprised because they notice that the other girls in the compound were all sharing a room. Some even had three to four people in a room. But the girls obey and they each go into their room. Then they fall asleep. Late in the night, Zainab wakes to the sound of her door opening. She sits up and notices a man entering the room. His voice orders her to take off her clothes. Perhaps out of fear, she takes off her clothes. 
The man then jumps on the bed, holds her hands tightly and rapes her. While this is going on, Talatu is going through the same experience, but hers was more brutal. When the man jumps on Talatu's bed, she tries to scream, but the man slaps her on her face and covers her mouth. While raping her, every time he sees her shedding a tear, he hits her some more. The next day, Mom moves Zainab and Talatu to shared rooms with the other girls, but then she would frequently send them back to the single room where they were raped by men, men who did not wear condoms. When women and girls are trafficked for sexual exploitation, it becomes very important to their handlers to ensure they do not get pregnant, as this could slow the business down in a number of ways. They could get pregnant, and if they decide to keep the baby, it would mean she wouldn't work for a long time. Even getting an abortion would cost some money and time. And no handler wants that complication. So what they do is ensure that the girls are placed on one form of birth control or the other. And another option is to have the men use condoms. In fact, according to an article by Biomed Central, the most common type of birth control used is the condom. Condoms are easily accessible and relatively cheap. But in Zainab and Talatu's cases, they were trafficked to a baby factory. Uma wanted them to get pregnant. In Nigeria, the peak of a person's life as far as parents are concerned is marriage. And then, of course, the grandkids that follow. On average, Nigerian men get married by the time they turn 27 to 30 years old. And Nigerian women get married by the time they are 20 to 23 years old. The average woman gives birth by the age of 20 and has about four to seven children. These ages are younger, of course, once you get to the rural areas. And when a married woman cannot have children, she is in deep trouble. In some parts of Nigeria, a woman's wealth is tied to her father, her husband, or even her sons. Meaning if her father is dead, her husband is dead, and she has no sons, she gets nothing except what her husband's family decides. She becomes a liability and she may be treated very badly after her husband dies. And at least if she had sons, they would inherit from their father and they would take care of her. In some places, women who don't give birth or give birth to only daughters get divorced by their husbands. So the pressure for married women to give birth, especially to sons, is high. And that pressure is one of the reasons why there is a demand for baby factories. With the baby factories... A woman can pretend to give birth. In fact, some women undergo hormonal treatment so that they can look pregnant while they wait for their baby from the factory. Within a month, both Zainab and Talatu get pregnant. But still, the girls continue to get raped almost every day. Nine months later, a midwife arrives in the compound. She assists in Zainab's delivery. Zainab delivers a baby boy, and immediately her son is taken away. She never gets to see him. She never knows what happened to him. In many cases, the mothers in these baby factories never get to see their children. In the case of trafficking, babies are forcefully taken from their mothers to be sold to expectant customers. According to Al Jazeera, 
Male babies are sold for anywhere between 700,000 to 1 million naira, while females are sold for 500,000 to 700,000 naira. Now, adoption is the most common reason for baby factories, but there are other reasons why babies get sold. Nigerian culture still has quite a bit of belief in rituals, and these rituals require sacrifices. Sacrifices could be fruits, animals, cash, human beings, including babies. And according to the International Crimes Database, some babies from the factories are sold as human sacrifices for rituals, while others end up growing up in captivity where they continue in the vicious circle of sex trade or manual labor. Before the baby factories, we had what we call compassionate homes or needy homes. According to a paper by Jacinta Chamakawaka, these were places that existed since the 1980s where pregnant teenage girls went to deliver their babies instead of just dumping them. After delivery, the new mother was given the option to either go home with the baby or permit the legal adoption of the baby by the compassionate home. Unfortunately, this very positive social development got twisted over time into what we now know as baby factories. The demand for baby factories has increased over the years, probably because something else has been increasing in Nigeria over the past couple of years. And it's something that we don't want to talk about. Infertility. There is a high rate of infertility in our country. According to Biomed Central, the infertility rate for couples in Nigeria is 10 to 30 percent. The Economist magazine reports that of 246 couples seeking fertility treatment in a Lagos hospital, most of the men, that's 52 percent, had a low sperm count or another problem that made it hard to conceive. And the fact that we're not willing to face the problem creates a market for dealing with the problem in the most twisted of ways, like creating baby factories. Now, the other option for couples or for single people is to go through the legal adoption process. According to Nigerian Guide, the cost to adopt a child could go from 180,000 Naira to 250,000 Naira. And this includes the cost of court charges, legal fees, agency charges, and like basically processing fees. So for those who really want to adopt, the cost is actually much lower than buying a baby from the baby factories. But based on what we could find, the process to adopt may be longer. We couldn't find anything solid about why the process is longer. It could be from the courts. Maybe the legal process takes too long. It could also be Maybe the prospective parents are looking for a particular type of child that is not available in any of the orphanages, which then makes the waiting list long. But remember, there is also a stigma around adoption, so even though it's an option, some couples will not choose it. Three days after she delivered her baby, Zainab was blindfolded and taken to a bus station. At the bus station, her blindfold was removed. She was given the sum of 20,000 naira by her traffickers to board a vehicle back to Maiduguri. In Medina too, Zainab reunited with her cousin Talatu, but they didn't go back to the IDP camp. Instead, they found a small mud house near the camp where they live and earn money, making and selling granite cakes at a mini kiosk just outside their compound. And the story of Zainab and Talatu is just one of many. December 2020, Nigeria police rescued 10 people after baby factory raid. January 2021, 
police bust baby factory in Anambra, knock 10 suspects, rescue five babies. February 2021, operatives raid baby factory in Calabar, rescue 24 pregnant ladies. March 2021, police uncover baby factory, rescue four pregnant girls in Anambra. April 2021, NAPTIP nabs four persons over sale of babies. April 2021, The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions, Production copyright 2021, Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Richard Anyebe, Nabila Usman, John Iwodi, Antonietta Kalunta, Dominic Tabakaji, and Sam Tabakaji. Executive Producer Ramat Mohammed. Special thanks to Rabia Hadeja, Stanley Bentu, Aredi Isha, and Mala Iwa Badu Ikaleku. I'm Ramat Mohammed. See you next week.